welcome into y'all the show all about the south i'm john rawl hey hope you're doing well as we're cruising through yet another week <laughs> we're we're on the short side of the week with one more day left in the work week we're going to have a good show today. We appreciate you tuning us in. Later this hour, we'll be talking with Tori Bailey of the WC Handy Music Festival in Florence, Alabama. That's going on this weekend, and it is our Dixie destination. And we'll learn all about this great tunesmith, WC Handy, who is known as the father of the blues. And in his hometown of Florence, they get together each summer and celebrate this pioneer of American music and have a lot of fun with it. And Tori's going to tell us all the events going on. And if you don't live all that far from the shoals of Alabama, we encourage you to go to Florence this weekend and check out the WC Handy Music Festival. Also in this show today, we'll be talking about books that are out across the Southeast. And we've got some dandies lined up if you want to have some good summer reading before it's time to go back to school. If you're a teacher or perhaps you're a young student listening to us, we've got some suggestions of all types in our buy the book feature in hour two plus an hour two we'll be talking about the vanderbilt commodores chris lee of vandysports.com will be stopping by and we'll get a preview of the doors in 2018 as they look to have a much better season than they had last year get back to a bowl two years ago they went to the independence bowl in shreveport and faced off against nc state and the doors are looking to get bowl eligible again under Derek mason and have a much better season and they've got the quarterback in Nashville to do such a task so we'll be talking with Chris Lee in hour two today as will you spotlight VU anchor down for Vanderbilt okay but right now on the y'all show we'll kick things off with our report of all things southern in the headlines and I know this story will continue to perk up throughout the next few weeks, especially since NFL teams are virtually all in their training camps and starting practice this week. Uh, most teams start today, actually. So here is the story. On Wednesday, Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones said on ESPN that his team's players will be required to stand for the national anthem and not stay in the locker room prior to the game. And that is a little bit different than what the NFL and its Players Association came to a standstill agreement with the NFLPA's grievance and on the NFL's anthem policy in a July 19th statement. I, I really feel like this is me weighing in here. I really feel like ultimately the owners are going to let the players, they're going to let the, <laughs> pardon the expression, inmates run the asylum. Uh, and Didn't somebody say that last year? Uh, somebody said it, something like that. I really feel like they're too scared of these players walking out and having a player strike, and they're they're going to ultimately buckle and let the players do anything they want to, even though they've come out with this policy, even though they, they say it's hurt them in a rating standpoint, it's hurt them in a financial standpoint. I, we just said last week the Green Bay Packers reported, I think, about a 4% increase in revenue, and if they reported it because they have some public investment into that franchise – then you know that is the case across the National Football League. But Jerry Jones saying that his players on the, that wear the star on the side of their helmets are going to have to stand for the National Anthem and not stay in the locker room, I, I still think that ultimately Jones and others are going to find themselves losing out to the players. The players are going to unite because, again, they've got that racial thing on their side. And anything racial just it takes it to a whole nother level. And I really feel – and Trump, of course, is involved in this. 
And I really feel like this is going to be players using race to go against the president. And it should have no correlation, but, but it does. So that's, uh, that's more, this is going to be going on from now, really, not even until the regular season starts in early September. I think it's going to be going on throughout the entire NFL season. Uh, NFL National Anthem, just <laughs> what a disaster. Okay, Caitlin Collins, have you watched CNN? She is the CNN White House reporter with a very thick southern accent. That's because she's from Prattville, Alabama, and graduated from the University of Alabama in 2014. I mean, she was in college four years ago, and here she is, a White House reporter for CNN. Well, on Wednesday, she was banned from an event going on with the press because she got, a, uh, she got in trouble for, according to the White House, interrupting a meeting as a pool reporter between President Trump and the President of the European Commission. Collins asked Trump questions about Vladimir Putin and the President's former lawyer Michael Cohen, which Trump did not answer, and the White House essentially disinvited Caitlin Collins to a Rose Garden event because of her unruliness and her asking questions. Now you've seen, if you if you know anything about this story, you've seen people from Fox, which is in the president's corner, it seems, they've come out in support of Caitlin Collins, saying that the White House shouldn't be banning any kind of reporter, and that is a uh, something that's just not setting a good tone for the White House. They're already embattled. They already have the press really at them at all times. You don't need to give them ammunition, especially from someone like Caitlin Collins, who, frankly, I think she got hired at CNN four years out of Alabama because she was working for some kind of conservative website, if I'm not mistaken, before working at CNN, and she covered the Trump campaign. So many journalists, so-called journalists, totally discounted Trump, discounted the Trump movement and laughed and mocked him, and some still do, but there were a handful of people who at least, at least took it serious, and I think Collins's background was that of a serious correspondent covering Trump's campaign, and then after he, he won, CNN wanted to, to spice things up and bring on someone that kind of had been working with Trump for a long time. Speaking of the president, his alleged friend of at least one night, Stormy Daniels, has canceled her appearance in Atlanta. She was supposed to be in Atlanta this weekend, appearing at the Pink Pony, but she's not coming to the Metro Atlanta this weekend due to family issues. That was the excuse given. She was on a nationwide strip club tour, but the Pink Pony is not going to have her, and ownership there were upset with the change of plans. The owner, Dennis Williams of the Pink Pony, which I can truthfully say I have never been to, said it, it seems a little bit unprofessional and a little rude. She was recently arrested and accused of illegally rubbing undercover police officers' faces against her bare breasts during a performance at a Columbus, Ohio strip club. Prosecutors later dropped those charges. She also, just in the last few days, her husband filed for divorce from adult film star Stormy Daniels. She's not coming down south this weekend, <laughs> no telling where she'll be. She's having a hard time. I'm sure her attorney will be on television very soon, though, to help explain what's going on. 
Well, Billy Nungesser is the lieutenant governor in Louisiana, and he is going to be fighting hard to put a tariff on imported seafood. He made this announcement at Jefferson Parish Council this week in Grand Isle, and he wants any kind of import coming into the U.S. to be boosted. And this is in a way, he says, to help the safety of the seafood being brought in. The resolution will request the Louisiana Congressional Delegation introduce and support legislation to impose a 10 cent per pound inspection fee on all imported seafood entering the U.S. The goal of this legislation would be to ensure imported seafood is safe for customers. Yes, there's a lot of imported seafood, and I know the folks along the Gulf Coast and even in the on the Atlantic coast of the South really want to see more and more of the southern-grown seafood out there available. But I, I assume there's some stuff grown overseas that we just can't, uh, or harvested, I say, should say, that we just don't have here in Dixie. But uh, Billy Nungess, remember him? He used to be on CNN all the time after the hurricane Katrina came through. He would be down there in, I guess it's Plaquemines Parish. They always have his white dress shirt on, even though it'd be 120 degrees. He'd be wearing that dress shirt with the sleeves rolled up. Now he's the lieutenant governor of Louisiana. Speaking of fish and seafood, a fisherman in Destin caught an 826-pound bluefin tuna. It becomes a Florida state record. Rick Whitley caught the massive tuna, which measured 114 inches in length and 80 inches around off a fishing boat called You Never Know. Now, he caught this nearly a year ago, but I guess it's taken a while for the results to become official from the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. But yes... What a great catch from angler Rick Whitley and an 826-pound, 8-ounce bluefin tuna. What do you do with a fish like that? Hmm, seems kind of fishy to me. <laughs> All right, well, let me tell you, if you're in Jackson, Mississippi, do not, I repeat, do not go down to, I think it's on Pearl Street, and try to break into that fancy house you see there on Pearl Street. Why? Because that house just might be the Mississippi governor's mansion. And in there you'll find First Lady Deborah Bryant, and she just might be packing some heat. It seems that over the weekend, the Bryant's home outside of Jackson on a farm they have in Capaya County was burglarized. And Governor Bryant tweeted Tuesday, had a burglary at our little farm in Capaya County Asked the first lady not to go down until we find the perpetrators. Her response, I'm taking my AR down and waiting on their expletive. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Deborah, I like your sense of bravado. That is absolutely awesome. The Bryants have a nearly 19-acre farm in Capaya County, which is about 50 miles southwest of Jackson. And the questions about what happened during the break-in were referred to the sheriff of Capaya County, but Phil Bryant, the governor, is a longtime advocate of gun owners' rights. He had a gun atop a Bible on his desk in 2016 as he signed a law authorizing churches to train their own armed guards. So, again, potential burglars, beware. Do not mess with Phil nor Deborah Bryant, first lady of the sovereign state of Mississippi. They may be having something in their in their home or in their in their pocket, including an AR. 
if uh, if you mess with them. <laughs> that's that's a funny story there. I've had a chance to meet Governor Bryan a couple times, and he's all Mississippi. Well, this is a story that's been going on a few days. We learned a little bit about it during the Tuesday show, and we had Jim Galloway of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on. He's the political writer for AJC.com, and he was telling us about in Georgia, there's a representative from Woodbine, Georgia, Jason Spencer, who, unfortunately for him, he got tricked into appearing on Sasha Barrett Cohen's cable TV show, where he was absolutely made a fool of. Cohen convinced him to take off his pants, convinced him to say all kind of expletives and racial epithets. And as a result, Spencer now says that because of this, that he will be resigning his post. This letter was released Wednesday by Caleb McMickin, spokesman for the Georgia House Speaker David Ralston. And it says that the representative will step down at the end of this month. On Sunday's broadcast of Cohen's Showtime series, Who is America? Cohen asked Spencer to take part in a counterterrorism video. Spencer shouts a racial slur for black people after Cohen tells him the tactic is useful for drawing bystanders' attention to an unfolding attack. Spencer also dropped his pants and underwear before backing his rear toward Cohen while shouting, USA and America. Spencer has apologized. I wish he wouldn't resign. I know what he said was stupid. I know what he did was stupid. But he was absolutely tricked by Sasha Barra Cohen, who's had a history of coming into the South and making fools of people. He, I remember he went and interviewed Ron Paul when Paul was a congressman, congressman from Texas. And Paul at least kind of stood up to him. But this, this was unfortunate. I know Spencer may not win the award for the most savvy guy in politics. And according to what we found out on Tuesday when Jim Galloway of the AJC was on with us, Spencer was planning on walking away anyway. He wasn't running for re-election. But it's just a point. We shouldn't give in to, to bullying by fake cable TV show hosts who literally lie about their identity. And then, I mean, what he was saying on the show made sense. I mean, they were doing counterterrorism mock drills. And in a mock drill setting, I guess, you never know what someone's going to say or do to try to get get the reaction needed because they're, they're there to kill and I, I know it was dumb okay i get it but i just wish some people wouldn't just cave in to the pressure and representative jason spencer is not listening to us he's resigning his post at, at least it sounds that way even though he's probably a a non-consequential position since I, I think georgia's already wrapped up their legislative business for the year but, yeah, that's that's what's coming from the Peach State politics. As if their governor's race wasn't enough drama, then Sasha Baron Cohen goes off and does something like this. This is a bad story coming from the Memphis area. Rachel Van Wagner, 26, left her child in a hot car while she went to have a drink on Tuesday's National Tequila Day. People were walking in the parking lot of the Cazadores Mexican Grill in Arlington, Tennessee, around 7 p.m. when they heard a baby crying, and they called 911. Deputies found a baby in the backseat of a Ford that was not running. The windows in the car were partially left open, and the doors were unlocked. When they got the baby from the car, they gave, they gave the baby medical treatment, and that's when Van Wagner came running barefoot out of the restaurant. Yeah, barefoot and told deputies she had been inside for about 30 minutes. She said she'd gone inside to have one drink.
responders said that it was 92 degrees when they pulled the baby from the hot car. I think the baby's going to be okay, but what an absolute bozo going into a restaurant and having a drink on National Tequila Day and leaving your child in a car with the engine not running, but period, just leaving the car. Some people just need to be taken out and severely yelled at, if not more, okay? And that, that's the case there. It sounds like this is not allegedly, this, this Rachel Van Wagner in Arlington, Tennessee, says that she left the baby in the car for 30 minutes to go inside and have a drink. Golly, unbelievable. To North Carolina, and this is a, a sad story, a man drowned in the surf there at Emerald Island of North Carolina because of rip currents. Now, the kind of, I guess, noteworthy thing about this, this effort was that other people were saved during the rip currents that were going on earlier this week on the Crystal Coast of North Carolina. And I've seen the video. There's about 40 people that formed a human chain to go out and try to rescue people. And they were successful. A 41-year-old man did drown, but others were rescued as a result of people making a human chain to get people out of the rip currents. That's, that's a pretty neat thing. A rip current, how do you fight a rip current? Well, don't fight current. Just, just kind of go with it. Swim parallel to the shore until outside of the current, and rip currents exhaust swimmers and can cause drowning. They say that rip currents often happen in low tide, and the water is darker where the rip current is compared to other water that people are swimming in. So if you're in the, the ocean at low tide, be on the lookout for rip currents. And again, try not to fight them because that's why people end up drowning. They lose their energy and they're not, no longer able to stay afloat. And I think these things don't last all that long, but I know it's got to be a frightening experience if you're caught up in one. And uh, I don't wish it on any way. In Oklahoma, police have arrested 22 there in a cockfighting operation. This happened in Kiowa County. 22 people taken into custody, custody after this cockfighting operation was busted in Cooperton. <laughs> in 2018, people are still cockfighting. Law enforcement found 56 cockfighting birds at the event Monday, 16 of which were dead. Uh. Now we move on in our southern headlines to Six Flags of Georgia. We told you earlier this week about how someone gave birth at a Chick-fil-A in Texas and got Chick-fil-A for life. Well, how about this? A woman in, at Six Flags over Georgia, west of Atlanta, well, she had a baby there at the Hurricane Harbor Water Park and, and went into labor and gave the birth. And now Six Flags is going to give this kid admission for life. Yeah. <laughs> this park opened back in 1967 and they want this kid to keep on coming back so a great birthday gift as they were awarded the diamond elite membership from six flags over georgia congratulations little matthew born at hurricane harbor monday afternoon at six flags of georgia now a woman who made history back in the 70s when she took over for her u.s senator husband from alabama on Wednesday of this week, Marion Pittman Allen died at the age of 92. She was Alabama's U.S. Senator after her husband, Jim Allen, died in 1978. She was Senator 
for about five months in the year of 1978. She lived in Birmingham and passed away. And after this uh, time in office, she actually went on and worked for the Washington Post. She was a journalist prior to getting into politics. But former U.S. Senator from Alabama, Marion Pittman Allen, dies at the age of 92. The children of Glenn Campbell are in a fight for the will of the former country music star, and they are contesting the validity of his will in Nashville. These are the children, I think, from an earlier marriage that Campbell had. They are Travis, Kelly, and Wesley Campbell, and they intend to contest the singer's capacity to agree to the 2001 and 2006 wills that omit them. Campbell died in August 2017 at the age of 81 after a long fight with Alzheimer's. His hits, of course, included Rhinestone Cowboy and Galveston. In Virginia, have you ever heard of the Chincoteague ponies? Yeah, a really neat thing. They are from a feral ponies from a Spanish galleon that sank on its way to Spain during a storm in 1750 just off the coast of Virginia on the eastern shore and there are some ponies that live on this island and each year there's what they call the pony swim in Chincoteague, Virginia and these ponies come over from Assateague Channel and it's really a very low channel there on the coast of Virginia and these ponies are able to swim from Assateague Island to Chincoteague Island during slack tide when there's very little current and they go parading through the streets and this pony swim is in its 93rd year. And they had this on Wednesday morning. And thousands of people come out to see the event. If you like horses, it's worth checking out. Some of the horses are rounded up and sold off at an auction to benefit local law enforcement and fire departments in the eastern shore of Virginia. But the annual pony swim happened on Wednesday. And a great picture of these little ponies. My little pony. <laughs> there in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Pretty neat story, and there are some barrier islands off of the Virginia coast where this island is included in that there, the Chesapeake Bay too. And this inspiration for this pony swim, by the way, was part of the 1947 children's book, Misty of Chincoteague, which was made into the 1961 family movie, Misty. Perhaps that's one of your favorites. Well, that's, that's kind of a neat thing. And Chincoteague, the ponies. Well, we'll take a break and we'll pony up and talk about some great festivals going on across the South in the next segment of Y'all. And of course, a little bit later this hour, we're going to welcome in Tori Bailey of the WC Handy Music Festival. That's all ahead on the Y'all Show with John Rawl. Ah, the sounds of summer. And this is the sound of summer skin being scratched because of the itching and irritation of what the season can bring. You need the fast relief of Cortisone 10 Intensive Healing Anti-Itch Cream. Unlike regular lotions, Cortisone 10 relieves itch and irritation with 1% hydrocortisone, the strongest non-prescription itch medicine, plus seven healing moisturizers. Cortisone 10 makes summer sound fun again. Cortisone 10. Feel the heal. Use as directed. There's never been a better time to try our Sprint Network. We have to find a way to tell everyone. Atlas is here to help. Because now we have our new Unlimited Plus plan. It has Hulu and all the TV and movies you love. Title Premium Music Streaming, 15 gigabytes mobile hotspot, and full HD. All on the network built for Unlimited at the best price. Exactly. We need to shout this deal from the rooftops. You got it. Atlas, I didn't mean literally. 
Sprint's new Unlimited Plus plan. Best deal ever. Switch to Sprint's Unlimited Plus plan for just $42 per line. But hurry, for a limited time, it's now $22 per line when you bring or buy your own phones. Visit a Sprint store, sprint.com slash unlimited, or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Price with $5 per month auto pay discount. One Hulu limited commercials plan per Sprint account. Features differ. Offer coverage not available everywhere. Excludes taxes, fees, and roaming. Requires new line subject to credit and third-dollar activation fee speed. Maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. When you don't have a big marketing budget, you have to wait until the opportunity is just right. Well, consider this your opportunity alarm going off. Vistaprint semi-annual sale has arrived with up to 50% off site-wide, including custom postcards, signs, invitations, posters, and more. And with tons of business card options, like square cards, now's the time to get huge savings on them, too. Make the most of this opportunity. Go to vistaprint.com by July 24th and enter the promo code SAVEBIG. Well, I got my first truck when I was three. Drove a hundred thousand miles on my knees. Hauled marbles and rocks and thought twice before. I hauled a Barbie doll bed for the girl next door. She tried to pay me with a kiss and I began to understand. There's something women like about a pickup man. That was a big one for Joe Dippy in 1994 and 95. It spent four weeks atop the Billboard singles charted number one pickup band. <laughs> Ain't nothing like a pickup man. Now, who wrote that song? Hang on to your sombrero. We'll tell you about that in just a second. We're going to spend the rest of today's show giving a proper attaboy and attagirl to our songwriters. Right now on the Y'all Show, we're going to tell you about a great festival coming up. But just, it just, just, a, just a few seconds from now... We're going to bring on from the W.C. Handy Music Festival, which is going on this weekend in Florence, Alabama. Tori Bailey is with that festival, and she's going to tell us about all the events going on to celebrate W.C. Handy, the father of the blues and a great songwriter, the guy that wrote St. Louis Blues. Yes, so music big time here on today's Y'all Show. The blues will be spotlighted, but up first we're going to have what we call festive south where we tell you about great events across the southeast and we're going to put the wc handy as one of our great events that festival this weekend will be our dixie destination so more of that is around the bend right now though let's tell you about another music related festival going on this weekend in henderson kentucky henderson is on the ohio river directly across from evansville indiana and this weekend, it's the Sandy Lee Watkins Songwriters Festival going on in Henderson. And if you're like me, you're like, who who the heck's Sandy Lee? I don't know who that is. You know, oftentimes songwriters don't get a lot of credit. They don't get as much attention as the person that sings the song. And I was thinking, well, Sandy Lee probably had a couple of hits. No, no, that's that's not it. Sandy Lee Watkins in Henderson, Kentucky was a guy who worked for the for the area. He worked for Henderson. He was a judge, and he was an executive there in that town on the Ohio River. And he helped start a songwriters festival. Very noble thing. And he was at a conference in California in 2010, right when the, song, the songwriting conference had just started, and he died unexpectedly. 
So they named this brand new songwriting conference in his honor, the Sandy Lee Watkins Songwriting Festival in Henderson, Kentucky. And that's going on this weekend. Now, one of the folks that helped Sandy Lee Watkins get this festival going was Henderson's native son, Carrie Kurt Phillips. Perhaps that name rings a bell. Carrie Kurt Phillips has penned a bunch of songs throughout his career, including the song you just heard, Pickup Man from Joe Diffie. Yeah, that was one of his big hits in his time in Nashville Music City, USA. He also wrote the song for Billy Ray Cyrus called It's All the Same to Me and a whole bunch of other songs. He's been awarded 75 gold records and 36 platinum albums, according to his website. Sales of more than 45 million records for Kerry Kurt Phillips' career, the native son of Henderson, Kentucky. And he, I think he'll be back there this weekend. And in fact, it just came out Wednesday that Kerry Kurt Phillips, great Nashville songwriter, is going to be nominated for the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame first time and it's an honor extended to the legends of country songwriting and and phillips had a funny quote he said at first i thought it was one of my idiot friends playing a stupid joke then the phone started ringing okay i guess he had heard a text or something about uh, me his nominee nomination so i i think he's going to be inducted but he is nominated at this point, Kerry Kurt Phillips. So anyway, he'll be there, it looks like, this weekend in his hometown celebrating songwriting. If you're looking for something interesting and fun to do, that's right on the edge of the South, but could be well worth it, the Sandy Lee Watkins Songwriters Festival, sandyleesongfest.com on the website. That's where you can go to learn more. Lake Charles, Louisiana this weekend, the Marshland Festival going on. As I've said before on this show, Lake Charles has a whole slew of activities. That's a good good name in that part of Louisiana, slew. They've got a whole slew of things going on in the Pelican State and Lake Charles specifically if you're looking for festivals. Coming up next weekend in Robbins, North Carolina, the 63rd annual Robbins Farmer's Day Parade is going to be going on. And the home of the Hokies, Blacksburg, Virginia, the Steppin' Out Festival. BlacksburgSteppinOut.com is where you can go to learn more. In Myrtle Beach, it'll be the Craftsman's Summer Classic Art and Craft Festival going on next weekend in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So more and more activities heading your way, but that's a, a good kind of glimpse of what's going on across the southeast in what we call our Dixie destination. And I want to remind you this weekend in Clute, Texas, it's the Great Texas Mosquito Festival. We had a representative from that festival on last week's Y'all and we want to remind you, if you're, if you're absolutely bored and have nothing else to do, why not go get chewed up by a bunch of mosquitoes in Clute, Texas? The Great Texas Mosquito Festival coming up this weekend. So that is a look at the Dixie Destinations, the Festive South portion of our show. And again, in our next segment, Tori Bailey is going to join us from the Muscle Shoals area of Alabama, Florence, Alabama to be exact, where this weekend and really right now we'll learn more this is a like a week-long event going on in Lauderdale County Alabama the WC Handy Music Festival and we're gonna learn more about WC Handy he's a name that many of you probably have heard of but since he lived way back early in the 20th century and his influence is still with us heck they've got a hockey team in St. Louis that I guess lends itself to his song St. Louis Blues so, yeah, we'll talk about that and much, much more as the Y'all Show continues. Dixie Destination WC Handy Music Festival coming up next. 
Credit products are made by WebBank. Rates and terms vary based on credit history. Amazon is not a sponsor of this promotion. Other restrictions apply. See website for details. How did I get into credit card debt? A trip to the emergency room. Car repairs. <sighs> Moving expenses. <sighs> There's a million ways to get into credit card debt, but one sure way to start getting out. Avant. Avant offers access to online unsecured loans from $2,000 to $35,000 at competitive rates and no extra charges for paying back early. Over 500,000 customers have experienced the convenience of a loan through Avant. No wonder Avant has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. The application takes minutes, and if approved by 4.30 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday, funds are deposited as soon as the next business day. And now Avant will also give you a $50 Amazon.com gift card after your first payment is made on time. To check your loan options and to get this special radio offer, go to Avant.com today and enter promo code 4646 when applying. That's A-V-A-N-T.com, promo code 4646. Avant.com, code 4646. Blues from W.C. Handy, and that was from the 1949 television program Toast of the Town, hosted by Ed Sullivan. This is the Y'all Show, and here on the program, we love to spotlight our great events across the Southeast, and our Dixie destination is W.C. Handy Music Festival 2018, taking place this weekend in Florence, Alabama, and from the event, we have Festival Chairman Tori Bailey joining us on today's Y'all Show. Hello, Tori. Happy Handy. I'm having a great time. How are you? <laughs> Happy Handy. I've never been told that in my life. So uh, that, that, <laughs> that is really cool. Well, we're, we're here to talk about W.C. Handy, his inspiration, and how you all in Florence, Alabama, got involved with having the W.C. Handy Festival. Now, again, we want to do a little history. William Christopher Handy was born in Florence, Alabama, in Lauderdale County, Alabama, in northwest Alabama in 1873 and got into music early in his life. He ultimately moved around. He lived in Memphis, I know. I think he lived in St. Louis and lived, I think, for a while in Mississippi. But his home was always Florence, Alabama. Tell us a little bit more about what the general public needs to know about W.C. Handy and his great legend. Well, he was an amazing uh, composer and very innovative in his thinking. He was from Florence, Alabama, but he ended up everywhere, including Havana. And he was one who was able to hear music in the most everyday sound. So whether it be the sound of a, of a bird cooing or uh, men working or whatever it was, he could hear beats. And he would take that and turn it into song. 
So he, he explains a lot of that in his autobiography, and, and some of that you will hear from his grandson, Dr. Carlos Handy, who's actually in town right now. Wow. To, uh, yes, to take over the, the uh, running of the home and museum of W.C. Handy himself. So we invite everyone to come and learn more about W.C. Handy firsthand. There is a bit of his history on our website at www.wchandymusicfestival.com. Org, and certainly we'll be happy to answer any questions about Handy himself. But you can't really get the experience unless you come to the Shoals area and walk through the house that belonged to him. See the influence that still is in existence here today in this area. In your opinion, Tori, how did he become a national sensation? He was an, a savvy businessman, for okay. one thing. He, okay. he, was one of, he was one of the first... Uh, to really understand how ASCAP works, how publishing works. And his family uh, still operates Handy Brothers Music in New York today. They still own his publishing. So there's, there's a lot of the business side to the music business that some folks kind of forget about. But, I, but it's, it's, it's important, too, to notice that in this area, we've got this, we, we kind of consider it kind of muscle shows magic. So we've got a lot of folks who have uh, credited Dr. Handy for, for being uh, this person who influenced their thinking about the music business, who influenced their uh, willingness to learn an instrument and become an expert at playing it, and who it, uh, today still create that kind of music. I don't know how much you know about the Shoals area, but we were known by Billboard magazine, we were dubbed by Billboard, as being the hit recording capital of the world. So everyone has recorded here from, oh my goodness, Wilson Pickens, staple singers recorded their hits here. Uh, Percy Sledge is from here. Jimmy Hughes is from here. We've had people coming here like, oh my goodness, uh, uh, this, uh, the Rolling Stones and Paul Simon and it goes on and on. Uh, Baby, Baby, Don't Get Hooked on Me by Mac Davis was recorded here. There, there's a long list of songs that were recorded in the shoals. Mm. So if you ever Google us, you're going you're gonna to be pretty amazed that some of your favorite songs from uh, through the years were recorded right here. And that recording is still happening. Alicia Keys was here not long ago. She recorded a gospel song with a local choir from the Galilee Missionary Baptist Church. The Black Keys have recorded here. Cher recorded here. So it's, it's, it's a pretty amazing list. The Jackson Five, when there were five of them, recorded here. So, yeah, and I love, I love the story of when the Rolling Stones were in Florence at one point, mm -hmm. and the story was that they went out to eat at a, at a diner there in the Shoals mm -hmm. with their long mm -hmm. hair, and this was in the 60s, and the wait, mm -hmm. waitress came up to them and said, you boys you boy studying at the college? <laughs> and, oh, they were studying all right. Yeah. yeah. The, which, which reminds me, you might want to come and take a tour of the of the studio where they did a lot of their recording. Uh, there was an extra little room uh, in there that uh, the police weren't aware of because we were a dry county, but it, ah. was, it was pretty wet. <laughs> wow. Studio. Yeah. Well, W.C. Handy. Uh, Alicia, I, I don't know if you're aware of it, Aretha Franklin also got her start here. She was already an established singer. Uh, she had done some gospel. She'd even done some big band. But it wasn't until she came here and recorded uh, I've Never Loved Man the Way I Love You, back with Do Right Woman, Do Right Man, which led to the whole album with respect and all of that, that she became the queen of soul. So that's the magic of the Muscle Shoals area. Well, W.C. Handy, again, we, we want to stress, he was born in 1873, so he would have been in his 20s and 30s in the early part of the 20th century and this was not an easy time to be a, a person from the South, especially a person that was of color as he was. And he found a way to become a very big success. So 
if nothing else, the guy is a successful businessman, as you told us, Tori, and the, mm -hmm. what all he did with his music, and you all celebrate that in Florence, Alabama every year, in an area known for great music, and he is the father of the blues. Right. You know what? And let me say something else. He had another bit of a, of a challenge because he was playing that devil's music, and his daddy was a preacher, and his granddaddy was a preacher, and they weren't really all that pleased about the choice of music that he heard and then played on the on the instruments that he became proficient at. But I also want to say that the, the Handy Festival started off in Florence, Alabama, is still headquartered in Florence, Alabama, but we actually encompass multiple cities in multiple counties. This year, we have events going on in eight different cities in Lauderdale, Colbert, and Franklin counties. So we're a little bit beyond just Florence right now. We're, wow. hit, we're, we're covering the whole northwest Alabama area. Wow, that is pretty neat. I did not realize that. Three, yes, 300 events in 10 days. No sleeping during the Handy Festival. It is the 37th WC Handy Music Festival in Florence, Alabama, and surrounding cities and counties. And we're, yes. ta we're talking with Tori Bailey, Festival Chairman of the WC Handy Music Festival. Okay, mm -hmm. well, we know that Muscle Shoals has this great history of music, and WC Handy was right there at the very early stages of getting music on the map in northwest Alabama. How in the world did Florence start this festival? All right, there were two men who just uh, happened to be at the airport in the same, at the same time, uh, the Northwest Alabama Regional Airport, which is in Muscle Shoals, and they just one of them happened to be um, carrying a, a, a case with a horn inside, and the other one, who was a local doctor, uh, noticed that and, and asked. Uh, if he was a musician, and one thing led to another, they began to have a conversation, and it, and it led to the, the musical heritage of this area, and so they started talking about Handy and how cool it would be if they uh, did a festival that would celebrate the legacy of W.C. Handy, but also celebrate the, the, the uh, influence of Muscle Shoals music. And so one thing uh, led to another, and, and, and uh, Dr. David Musselman, who we lost this year, uh, so th which is why we dedicated this year's festival to him, uh, spoke with uh, Dr. Willie Ruff, um, and Dr. Willie Ruff has has been known to be a, a, a oh my goodness, he was he was a well a well respected, well renowned musician with a Willie Ruff um, trio, and he ended up teaching at Yale. But the two of them came up with this idea, and the next thing you know, uh, uh, Ruff gets on a plane, uh, Musselman comes back and talks to, to some other business people, and they form a committee, and the next thing you know, we've got a WCN Music Festival. Now, the, the first person who came in and headlined, uh, and this was because of Dr. Willie Ruff and his influence, was Dizzy Gillespie. Hmm. So he was our very first head headliner, and from since that time, we've had everybody from uh, Ramsey Lewis to Roy Ayers, Diane Chewer, the uh, Take Six, Dr. Billy Taylor, uh, the list goes on and on. We've we've had Mac McNally, we've had the Drive By Truckers, uh, we've had Roberta Flack, uh, the Manhattan Transfer. So it's, we've had a pretty astounding list of headliners through the years at this festival. Well, you're going to have some people like Candy Staten on this year's lineup, Travis Warnock, absolutely, and yes. Willie Hightower. Candy's been here before, but she's coming back for a special reason, because we not only lost Dr. Musselman, we also lost Rick Hall this year. And Rick, um, who is known as, as father of the Shoals music, uh, was 
is a person who influenced a lot of the local bands, including the Swampers. He was the first to hire them, and then they later went on and began, and began Muscle Shoals Sound recording studios. But the Fame Gang was a house band that played at Fame Music, which is what uh, Rick Hall started. Mm-hmm. And so they're coming back. Candy was a great friend, and so was so was Travis, and so was Willie, to Rick Hall. And so they're coming back to celebrate what he he meant and what his influence meant to this area. Well, on Saturday night... Starting at 8 o'clock, you'll have what you call the Fame Gang Reunion as part of the finale to Handy Fest, and that's Mm -hmm. going on. Now, one of the neat things also, if you you want to see a lot of great music and hear a lot of great music, of course, the WC Handy Music Festival is a place you should check out. But one of the really cool things you've got going on is you've got music camp at the Handy Festival. What, What is that about? Well, actually, the music camp took place in June. Oh, okay. But the camp, the students who participated in the camp, they were so impressive, and I, I loved what they did so much. There was one young lady who is just, she's she's a baby. She's still in school, and she sounds as though she's been crooning for decades. And so I said, you guys need to play during the festival. And so they graciously agreed to do so. So they're going to be performing at Riverside Jazz, and that's taking place Friday down at McFarland Park, which is down by the Tennessee River. We set up a stage down there, and we have multiple artists on that one stage. Uh, so it kind of gives people a sampling of all the different types of music that are, that's going on throughout the festival. We've got music in parks, restaurants, and bars. We've got music in retail stores. Music is everywhere you can't go very far you can't drive a block or two without hearing some music and so this is an opportunity to hear all different types straight ahead jazz uh contemporary we've got some r&b uh, it might even be a little country going on you never know but there's, there's all kinds of music going on during the handy festival and so it's it's you'll find something for you we have events for kids for adults there are some seniors who may not be able to get out of nursing homes to enjoy the handy festival so we take the festival to them with many concerts at nursing homes throughout the Shoals area. So this is a, is a time when everybody comes together. We put aside all of our differences. It doesn't matter whether you're Democrat or Republican or old or young or rich or poor. You're going to find something that you're going to enjoy at the Temple Festival. Spoken beautifully there. And this is a festival that's been going on. You started with some pre-festival events back on July 14th. <laughs> yes. This is not a, just yes. a one weekend event. You've had stuff going on all this week. We just started this segment out playing the song St. Louis Blues. You've been playing the movie St. Louis Blues that starred Nat King Cole uh, yes. a couple times throughout the week. So it's, mm-hmm. it's just a fun weekend and a great place to go. If you haven't been to Florence, Alabama, I highly encourage you to go. Uh, it is right there on the Tennessee River. It's very convenient. to. Uh, I think if you drew a circle. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful here. Are you gonna, Not only do you have great music, it's really pretty. Are you going to promise this like. 70 degree temperatures all day actually there are some years when it's really really hot which makes our athletic events challenging we have a three-state bike ride that goes through alabama tennessee and mississippi we have a 5k run and now the ride took place this past saturday the run's coming up this saturday the first thing both those coordinators ask is are we going to have plenty of ice? Usually <laughs> these are grueling races, but this year the weather has been absolutely perfect. It's not been too hot. It's been just right for the outdoor events. I've been worried about rain a little bit, but we've managed to do anti-rain dances, and the Lord has been good, and we haven't had anything get rained out. So, so far it's been absolutely perfect weather for the Handy Festival. Well, W.C. Handy passed away at the age of 84 in 1958, but his... Mm-hmm. His legacy lives on 
all yeah. over the country in so many ways, but especially in his hometown of Florence, Alabama, with the WC Handy Music Festival. Again, this weekend is the finale of this year's 37th event, and we've been talking with Tori Bailey of the festival on today's Y'all Show. Thank you, Tori. How can people learn more? What is your website address for this festival? www.wzandymusicfestival.org, or you can call us at 256 256- Seven six six seven six four two, or you can Google us or, or Facebook us, and because we've got young, energetic people, they're Snapchatting us. They are, <laughs> we, we anything, any kind of social media, you're going to find the WC Handy Music Festival. And and don't worry, it's not too late for you guys to come. You still got another hundred events to go between now <laughs> and close <laughs> Tori, Tori, you're already working on probably the one for next year right now. I love it. Yes, sir. The dates are already set, so you can find those in your brochure. But if anybody's interested in knowing about next year's dates, I'll tell you now, July 18th through 28th, 2019. How about that? Tori, thank you very much, and best of luck with the rest of the festival. Thank you so much. Take care and have a wonderful day. Okay, you too. Happy handy. (laughs) Happy handy to you. All right, well, that wraps up our Dixie destination, the WC Handy Music Festival in Florence, Alabama. That also wraps up the first hour of the Thursday. Y'all, hang on. Go get your trombone out. We'll be ready to toot it in the next hour as hour two will have by the book as we look at Southern books that are available for you to check out. And we'll also have an all Vanderbilt Commodores report from Chris Lee of VandySports.com as Vandy gets ready to try to improve in 2018 on the gridiron. All that is ahead on the Y'all Show with John Ross. Geico presents unhelpful home improvement how-tos. Lightning can spark a fire in seconds. So today, I'll show you how to protect your belongings by covering them in a fireproof blanket fort. All you need is a hammer, nails, and 700 fireproof blankets. Upon completion, you'll notice your apartment isn't just fireproof, it's also extremely cozy. You could try to protect your valuables with a fireproof blanket fort, or you could get covered for personal property damage through the Geico Insurance Agency. Go to geico.com to see how affordable renter's insurance can be. Y'all, the show about y'all, the show about the South, the show about great Southern literature. This is the show that we're glad that you've tuned in on a Thursday. This is John Rawl, your gracious host. And on the Y'all Show, we talk music, we, we talk sports, we talk politics, we talk news, we talk opinion, we talk cooking. Yeah, we do talk books, and we've got that right ahead, so stay, stay tuned for that. Also ahead, we've got SEC football in a big way. We're going to welcome in from Rivals.com and VandySports.com, Chris Lee. He's the publisher of Vandy Sports on the Rivals Network, and he'll stop by to tell us all about the Vanderbilt Commodores who are looking to approve on a one win in the SEC 2017, which was better than Tennessee, by the way. We'll talk about the Doors in 2018. They've got a veteran quarterback, a lot of optimism going on in the West End area of Nashville. We'll talk to Chris Lee in the next segment as he'll tell us all about the Doors, and we'll also pick his brain about the SEC and that lineup of great quarterbacks currently in the Southeastern Conference for the 2018 football season. We'll have all that coming up. So if you like the doors or you want to learn more about Vandy, hey, we have the perfect guest coming up, Chris Lee. This guy is Mr. Vanderbilt Sports. VandySports.com is the website and can't wait to talk to him. He and I go way back and we've done lots of shows about Vanderbilt through the years 
and we'll tell you all about it coming up in the next segment of y'all. But now, you know, Vanderbilt's kind of an intellectual type school. Well, we're going to make you feel smart because we're going to talk about Southern books and Southern writers now and what we call by the book on the Y'all Show, B-U-Y, the book. That is a feature that we are glad to have on the Y'all Show where you can learn about new books available and so much more. In fact, this isn't Vanderbilt related, but it is SEC football related in an upcoming episode of By the Book on the Y'all program. In early August, we're going to have the author of the new book, Penelope Lemon. Inman Majors is going to be our guest. And Inman is the nephew of former University of Tennessee head football coach and Pitt football coach Johnny Majors. And I've met Inman before, great guy, featured him in his books in the past. And his brand new book is going to be out in early August, Penelope Lemon. And he'll be our Buy the Book exclusive interview on the Y'all Show in just a few days. So stay tuned for that. But right now on Buy the Book, let's look at books that are already out there available for you to peruse and check out. The first book that we're going to talk about is Still Wrestling, Faith Renewed Through Brokenness by author Les Ferguson, Jr. Now, this one caught my eye because I thought, I thought it might be about wrestling, you know, the sport. But no, it's about it's about faith. And we'll tell you a little bit about it. And it, the, my description is going to be minor league compared to the real-life story of Les Ferguson, Jr. So hang on. Let me tell you what the, the book publisher wants us to tell you about the book. In the aftermath of a double murder, a destroyed family, and a shattered faith, Les gives hope to others wrestling with God through a dramatically different study of the Bible's characters. Life happens to us all. When good turns to bad, the journey from bad back to good can seem impossible. In this candid book, Pastor Les Ferguson shares his true story of when he struggled to believe not that God existed, but that he cared. The questions of faith and doubt shared in Still Wrestling Show leads Les's journey through tragedy to a deep, renewed faith. Les approaches God's Word from a perspective entirely different from the average Sunday school book. He guides readers through a study of the Bible's characters by examining their humanity, seeing their fears, and acknowledging their weaknesses, exploring our own brokenness through the broken characters of God's Word. And that, that is the description of the brand new book, Still Wrestling, Faith Renewed Through Brokenness, by author Les Ferguson, Jr. Now, the journalist in me... Pose the question, who the heck is Les, Wegg Les Ferguson Jr.? And I did a search, and golly, I can't believe what I found. Les Ferguson is a Mississippi preacher. And back seven years ago, roughly, Les and his wife, Karen, they had three sons. And he was with their three sons when on a Monday morning he posted a message uh, his wife did, rather, wishing her husband, Les Ferguson Jr., the love of my life, a happy 24th anniversary. You are a great husband and a great father to our four boys. I love you always, she wrote. Sadly, later that day, police found the Mississippi minister's wife and the couple's severely handicapped son, Cole, who was 21, slain in their home. 70-year-old suspect in the double homicide, Paul Ellis Buckman, died of an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound at his apartment about two miles away from this. And the man, Buckman, had attended Orange Grove Church of Christ where Ferguson was a minister. 
until Buckman was accused a few months ago of sexually assaulting Cole, who had cerebral palsy, friends and authorities said. So that is a, a tragedy there that happened many years ago, but now Ferguson has tried to come back. This I think happened in 2011 is when the minister's wife and son were slain and then the suspect committed suicide. Well, he's picked up the pieces and has this brand new book that I'm sure brings all of that to life and, and helps explain his walk with God, still wrestling faith renewed through brokenness from author Les Ferguson Jr. Mm. Now to another book that just came out on hardcover, Privacy's Blueprint, The Battle to Control the Design of New Technologies from author Woodrow Hartzog. Now Woodrow Hartzog is a fellow that went to undergrad and law school at Samford University just outside of Birmingham, Alabama, and then went to law school at George Washington, as well as getting a PhD at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He's currently a member of the faculty at the School of Law of Northeastern University in Boston, Massachusetts. Now he's got his book out called Privacy's Blueprint. Everyday internet users interact with technologies designed to undermine their privacy. Social media apps, surveillance technologies, and the internet are, th are things that are built in ways that make it hard to guard personal information. And the law says this is okay because it is up to users to protect themselves, even when the odds are deliberately stacked against them. In Privacy's bl Blueprint, Hartzog pushes back against the state of affairs arguing that the law should require software and hardware makers to respect privacy in the design of their products. So this is very timely, this book, especially with all the, the fuss over Russia, and, and, and it's true fuss. They've, they've been bad actors. I don't blame just Russia, though. There's a lot of countries out there, our enemies, even our frenemies, who have a reason to spy on us as individuals and us as a country. And if you want to know more about the state of affairs with technology and the design of technology, I would check out Privacy's Blueprint from Woodrow Hartzog, this, this new hardcover. It's available on Kindle as well, and it should be a fun read if you're kind of into modern stuff. Now to a friend of mine who has, golly, has he been busy writing books, Ace Atkins. Ace a former Auburn football player, he was on that 1993 team that was undefeated, arguably could have won a national championship under coach Terry Bowden. Well, Atkins has penned 23 books now, including eight Quinn Colson novels. The Ranger and the Lost Ones are two of them. Well, he lives in Oxford, Mississippi, and that's where I knew him. I, he and I moved to Oxford at the exact same time. We were both on the faculty at Ole Miss at the same time. And it was just fun to meet him. I actually got invited out to his home in the country there in Lafayette County. And, and just, just a cool guy. I, I, I don't dare compare myself on the coolness scale to Ace Atkins. He, uh, he's cool. And he's been busy. And again, this is his latest book. He's already got 23 to his credit. And now The Sinners, a Quinn Colson novel, arrived on hardcover last week. Ooh, man, I love it when new stuff is available. In the novel from this best-selling crime master, Atkins, violence comes in many forms, and this time it may be more than Quinn Colson can handle. Don't, don't, don't. 
The Pritchards had never been worth a damn, an evil, greedy family who made their living dealing drugs and committing mayhem. Years ago, Colson's late uncle had put the clan's patriarch in prison, but now he's getting out with revenge, power, and family business on his mind. To make matters worse, a shady trucking firm with possible ties to the Gulf Coast Syndicate has moved into Tibaha, and they have their own methods of intimidation. With his longtime deputy Lily Virgil now working up in Memphis, Quinn Colson finds himself having to fall back on some brand new deputies to help him out, but with Old West-style violence breaking out and his own wedding on the horizon, this is without a doubt Colson's most trying time as sheriff. Cracks are opening up all over the county, and shadowy figures are crawling out through, there, through them, and they're all heading directly for him. Ooh, man, I see the reviews are coming in from all over. On The Sinners, a Quinn Colson novel from author Ace Adkins, an Auburn, Alabama native. He went to Auburn, then he went down to Florida and started writing as a crime writer in Tampa. Then he got a chance to go to Ole Miss, thanks to the former head of the journalism school there uh, that, that gave him an opportunity to come and teach and all that. So it's just a, uh, a great thing for Ace to, to kind of, since his novels had a little bit of a Mississippi theme to them, he took up Stuart Bullion's opportunity to move to Ole Miss and Oxford and, and learn how to be a Mississippi-based writer, which is a pretty good place to be for writing books. Go ask William Faulkner <laughs> and others. John Grisham, who has a home there but still continues to live for the most part in Charlottesville, Virginia. And that's also where William Faulkner lived at one time, too, because William Faulkner was on the faculty at the University of Virginia. Even though he was a good northern Mississippian, he, he also made a correlation between Charlottesville and Oxford. And another book that's out that's kind of a historic book that you should keep on your radar. It's written by Ethan J. Keinel and Blaine Roberts. Denmark V.C.'s Garden, Slavery and Memory in the Cradle of the Confederacy. Denmark V.C. was a Charlestonian. He was a slave in Charleston that I think actually got his freedom. I should know this story. Regardless, in the early 18... Hundreds, roughly 1820-ish, there was a rebellion of slaves on the German coast of Louisiana. That's upriver from New Orleans, and it was very violent. And we also know about the Nat Turner slave revolt that happened in that same time period. Well, in South Carolina, there was going to be a slave revolt in Charleston, led by Denmark Vesey. But Unlike Nat Turner and unlike the German Coast Revolt, this was discovered and there was no revolt. But there was hell to pay. And Denmark Vesey and many others who were going to participate in this revolt in Charleston were all hung. This book out now, in the tradition of James Lowen's Lies My Teacher Told Me, it's a deeply researched book that uncovers competing histories of how slavery is remembered in Charleston, the heart of Dixie. Uh, this book strikes at the heart of recent flare-ups in Charleston. Believe it or not, the area where D Denmark Vesey lived was blocks away from the Emanuel AME Church, where you had the 2015 murder of nine innocent people in that church. This book kind of connects the dots between the past 
and the current times with people like Dylan Roof shooting those innocent people and brings to light Denmark Vesey, examines public rituals, monuments, and whitewashed historical tourism. I'll be interested to see that. Now, one reason I'm interested to see that, because I'm a big fan of history, and I'm a Civil War fan. I'm a diehard Charlestonian. I uh, Believe it or not, my alma mater, the Citadel, in Charleston, South Carolina, would not exist if not for Denmark Vesey. And you say, what? How could a guy that was going to lead a slave revolt help lead to the formation of a school that exists in 2018? Well, it's true. Because of Denmark Vesey and other slave revolts that had happened, the state of South Carolina realized that they needed to create a, an arsenal of weapons to quell such revolt to anything that might happen. They needed to have an arsenal ready to defend the city. So in the 1830s, the city and the state of South Carolina built this building in downtown Charleston that's still there, and it's called the Old Citadel. And this building was full of weapons, primarily to use to defend the town and, and the area in case of a slave revolt, but I guess it could be used for any kind of attack on Charleston. After some time, someone came up with the idea of saying, instead of paying people to come here and serve as guards of this arsenal of weapons, why don't we create a college and we'll have the cadets from that school be the guards of the weapons and, and the ammo. And that's exactly what happened. And in 1842, the Citadel was created and it all is because of Denmark VC and a slave revolt. And I'm not going to pick on the Citadel here. There are a lot of Southern universities that exist today even in places you might not think of that much as that Southern, like the University of Maryland, for example, that all have ties to slavery or plantations or something along those lines. The University of Maryland and College Park was built on a plantation. Yes, it sure was. And I bet you you'll find that commonplace throughout the Southeast. Colleges built by slaves, colleges that... Uh, you know, don't have the greatest history. Maybe it's something they want to put on the front page of their website, but it's part of their history. And in South Carolina, Denmark Vesey, this guy that was going to lead a slave revolt, certainly had an influence on the creation of my beloved alma mater, the Citadel. And they don't put that on page one of their propaganda that they put out, but they sure that there sure is a connection without a doubt. So Denmark Vesey, thank you. I know you were killed in 1822. Uh, as a result of your supposed slave revolt that, that was going to happen. That's your legacy. If nothing else, you've got a lot to be legacy to be remembered for, but that, that's one of them. Now, finally, going to remind you once again that Inman Majors is going to be our special guest on an upcoming Y'all. He's the author of the brand new book, Penelope Lemon, and that is coming out in early August, and he's going to be our guest, and he's the nephew of Johnny Majors. Johnny Majors, who was a standout halfback at the University of Tennessee back in the 1950s and went on to go into coaching. He helped the 1976 Pittsburgh Panthers win the national championship by winning the Sugar Bowl. And then he ended up going back to his alma mater to be the head coach of the Tennessee Vols and was that from 1977 to 1992. And, and actually went back to Pitt. I had forgot about that. Yeah, he went back to Pitt and was the head coach of the Panthers from 93 to 96. But his nephew is a great author. I've had a chance to meet him a couple times and interview him, and he'll be on 
real soon in our Buy the Book feature where you'll learn more about his new creation, Penelope Lemon. Should be fun. We're talking a little football. We're going to have much more of that right around the corner with our guest and friend, Chris Lee from Nashville. He is the publisher of VandySports.com on the Rivals.com network. And we're going to talk all Vanderbilt Commodores, VU. That's next on the Y'all Show with John Raw. There's never been a better time to try our Sprint Network. We have to find a way to tell everyone. Atlas is here to help. Because now we have our new Unlimited Plus plan. It has Hulu and all the TV and movies you love, title premium, music streaming, 15 gigabytes mobile hotspot, and full HD. All on the network built for Unlimited at the best price. Exactly. We need to shout this deal from the rooftops. You got it. Atlas, I didn't mean literally. Sprint's new Unlimited Plus plan. Best deal ever. Switch to Sprint's Unlimited Plus plan for just $42 per line. But hurry, for a limited time, it's now $22 per line when you bring or buy your own phones. Visit a Sprint store, sprint.com slash unlimited, or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Price with $5 per month auto pay discount. One Hulu limited commercials plan for Sprint account. Features differ. Offer coverage not available everywhere. Excludes taxes, fees, and roaming. Requires new line subject to credit. Third dollar activation fee speed. Maximums use rules and restrictions apply. And welcome back to y'all, the show all about the South. Our number, 803-816-1170 on Twitter, at y'all show. And now on Instagram, the y'all show on Instagram. Check it out. We're just growing by leaps and bounds. (laughs) I'm your host, John Rawl. And now on the program, we're going to welcome back an old friend, Chris Lee, the publisher of VandySports.com. That's the Rivals.com home for all things Vanderbilt Commodores. Chris, welcome back to the radio with y'all and John Rawl. <laughs> yes, it's good to have the band back together for a few minutes at least. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you're in Nashville. You're probably a pretty good tunesmith. Yeah, I'm not not as much a country guy, but I do appreciate my music. Well, what do you listen to? Oh, a lot of bad pop, especially from the 80s, but <laughs> to each their own, right? Was there even pop music in the 80s? That's about all there was in the 80s. I, pop, I'm familiar with hair bands and all that, but that's more, <laughs> that, that was more... I, I'm not too good to go there, so... Okay, well, I thought that was, uh, you know, it's not. It, you might want to not tell too many people about your love of 80s pop music. No, we'll, we'll keep that a secret, but I think the secret just got out, maybe. Yeah, so. yeah. I guess you've got a, still a picture of, was it Paula Abdul on your wall or something? <laughs> I didn't, didn't go that far, but uh, it was it was a fun time. It's it's a good, I think I listen to music a lot of time for memories. And let's face it, when, when we're in high school, um, you know, we think we have problems and then real life strikes. And, and we learned that maybe we had it pretty good after all when we were spending our afternoons playing pickup football and basketball. So I think it's just a way to take me back to a time that uh, was a lot more fun than I realized at the time. Well, Chris, you're one of these people that I detested 20 years ago because I love country music, and I just thought it was the greatest thing ever, and I I couldn't wait to be around it. And I 
I picked up and moved hundreds of miles away as a youngster to work in Nashville, Tennessee, to be in the middle of the beast of country music. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many people I ran into like you who grew up in the Nashville area that just didn't like country music. It was in their backyard, but they could absolutely care less about country music. And you're one of those you know, people. It's it's a funny area because it was a lot of that. Uh, it just wasn't like people I went to high school just didn't listen to it. No, country is different now than it was then, and I think it's become a lot more mainstream. Uh -huh. uh, but that the two things about Nashville are that and the fact that so many people now are not from here. I mean, I go to a church, and I mean, it's maybe 10% of the people are from the Nashville area, and that's probably stretching it. Uh, you know, in, in downtown Franklin, it's just crazy how things have changed here over the years. Yeah. Well, not far from Music Row in Nashville, Tennessee, oh, about uh, two blocks away is a place called Vanderbilt University, and sandwiched in between is San Antonio Taco Company, by the way great place but let's talk a little Vanderbilt and then Chris I'm not going to let you off easy today we're going to get your thoughts on the SEC and maybe if you're lucky a little thoughts on college baseball how does that sound I, I'm up for it okay there's nobody out there that knows more about college baseball other than maybe Ron Polk than this guy here Chris Lee all right, Chris, last week was SEC Football Media Days in Atlanta, Georgia. Derek Mason was at the mic. Your thoughts on that event, then we'll move over and get your perspectives on his football team getting ready to start drills here in a few days. Well, Media Days to me, if you follow the SEC and, and do your homework, there's not a whole lot that you learn. And and I don't pay a lot of attention to what is, is said at those things because I think – you know, show me a coach other than Steve Spurrier, who always thought his teams were terrible, or maybe Nick Saban, who always thinks his teams have to prove, but something to prove. But everybody else is, you know, we're bigger, stronger, faster, more athletic than ever, and everything's great. And you listen to each coach, and you have feeling there's like, you know, 12 or 13 national title contenders in the SEC. So with that said, of course, I do have to listen to it a little bit. He was optimistic. Um, I think that – it's going to be a tough road for them. I thought last year was going to be their year. They had a lot of guys coming back, a lot of starters coming back, and they get off to that 3-0 and start, and then just the bottom falls out. When they run into Alabama and Georgia, just bang, bang. Uh, and it really, I think, killed their confidence. So against the backdrop of what happened last year, they're hitting the reset button. They lost a lot of senior starters, which is usually not good. But – the thing that I will say, and, and Vegas has pegged them as a four-win team. I think that's about right. But they do have some really talented kids coming in at their biggest positions of need. Now, some of those are Ivy League transfers. Uh, one of those is Rutger Reitmeyer, who was a four-star defensive line recruit who was at Oregon for a year and actually did not use up a year of eligibility. He got ruled eligible for the fall, and I think he'll help. And then they got some really good freshmen. They had a couple of four-star uh, kids in the secondary and at linebacker in Brendan Harris and Austin Orgy who will help them, uh, really talented kids. Now, the, the common thing that you may get here is, is a lot of these kids are freshmen. And when you're depending on those kids in the SEC to help you out right away, that's usually not going to, to go well. Uh, but they are more talented kids than Vanderbilt usually gets. Uh, and if you get some steps up some other places – you know, maybe the post-hype year is the one where it comes around. So we'll see. 
Chris, a lot of people this year are saying how big the SEC is going to be from a quarterback standpoint. And with the Commodores, you don't have to look very far with Kyle Shermer. Is he ready and ready, set, go for 2018? And will he be make, maybe right there amongst the best in the conference? First of all, you're right about it being a year for quarterbacks in the league. I remember a couple of years ago, um, a lot of these magazines now will pick three and four SEC teams. And I remember uh, the kid at LSU at the time, whose name I've already forgotten, who wasn't any good, uh, was getting mentioned on those. It's like, boy, if that's not an indictment of quarterbacks, I don't know what it is. And Kyle Shermer would have been a few years ago probably one of those two, three, four best quarterbacks in the league. And, and now he's probably more around the six to eight range just because of how much the competition has improved at other schools. But I do think he's primed for potentially a good year. I mean, I think he had, oh, 26 touchdowns, nine or ten picks off the top of my head last year. The touchdowns set a school record. Uh, I think he's a good quarterback. He's He's got some deficiencies. He's not very mobile. He doesn't always react well to a pass rush. But they've done a decent job of protecting him, A, uh, and B, of course, he's older. His dad is an NFL coach. And when you go into your fourth year starting in the SEC, that is a luxury that most teams do not have. Now, I think with him, a lot's going to depend on his receiving core. And I think that's where I've got some questions. I was not impressed with him in the spring. They've got a kid named Kalijah Lipscomb, who is a junior, who's really good. Uh, and I think maybe should have gotten a little bit more buzz for all SEC teams than he did. Uh, but I like him. He had a great spring. He's a pretty decent deep threat. The question is, what can they surround him with? Uh, and again, it may be where they have to look at freshmen. They've got a kid, C.J. Bowler, out of Mississippi, who enrolled early and played a lot. And a kid named Cam Johnson out of Brentwood Academy here locally, who is maybe the best receiver in the state and I think will be a surefire impact player. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts on opening day. We'll see what happens when they lace it up next week. Uh, but I think if he can get good receiver play, which is a huge question mark for them right now. He's got a chance to have another pretty good year. Kyle Shermer, the son of New York Giants head football coach Pat Shermer. Have you seen Coach Shermer around the program very much? You know, I have not. Those guys in the NFL are usually pretty busy with their own stuff, and I expect that's the case there. I have uh, now. You'll go to practice, and you will see some interesting people at times. Uh, Jay Cutler's been around a lot. Uh, but I did not see Kyle Shermer there this year, or his dad, I mean. Do you see Jordan Rogers around the program very much? You, you know, I do some. I, I do sometimes. And, of course, in baseball, it's really interesting. You see all kinds of people between hockey players and music stars and things like that. Vanderbilt draws a pretty interesting crowd <laughs> in and around at sporting events at times. Yes, they do. And sometimes they draw the opposing team a little too much, but that's okay. Or yeah, well, a, a lot too much. I think that's a big problem for them. I think I would estimate their last eight conference games, they have been outdrawn on their own stadium. And I think that's a kind of a, a shame on Vanderbilt for not taking better measures to let that happen in a number of ways. But that's that's a whole different interview. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, of course, Vanderbilt is a team that historically everybody's kind of not paid much attention to in the SEC. They've kind of been the – redheaded stepchild but my gosh was was it not awesome under the James Franklin era and how great Vanderbilt was doing my question to you is what was Franklin doing now that it's been a few years since he was in Nashville that needs to be repeated the great mystery oh a lot okay <laughs> um I think 
you know, for one thing, he's an unusual human being. Okay. He's one of these guys that didn't need caffeine. He just was naturally wired. Um, I think he slept maybe three or four hours a night, and it didn't seem to bother him. I just don't think most of us are wired that way. Okay. Um, second, I think he tried to take total ownership of that program, everything from getting more fans in the stands to the smallest of details, um, you know, in, in everything. And, but I think the thing that really – the two things on the field that – in hindsight, really struck me. One, I think he did recruit at a higher level. Sometimes they panned out, sometimes they didn't. But I don't think it was as much his recruiting as what he did between the ears. He had them believing he would win. And, John, you grew up in the South. I mean, for every time Vanderbilt won a game in the fourth quarter against a team that was comparably matched or, or better, you know, they, they must have lost at least nine. And under James – they started winning those games. I mean, you would get to the fourth quarter and you're like, okay, it's tied. Or they're up a field goal. It's just like it's like a game of Clue. You, you know, you, you you pick the murder weapon and the character. It's just like with Vanderbilt, it's like how they're how are they going to lose it and who's going to be the goat? Well, with James for three years, it didn't happen that way. They actually started winning probably more of those games than they lost, and I think he had them believing. Second of all, their conditioning I think was off the charts. He used to bring puke buckets out there <laughs> for players ahead of time. And, and, you know, the message was pretty clear. This is the kind of work that you're going to be in for every day. And maybe that's not for everybody, but I think he pushed kids to limits that they had never been pushed to before. And I think that ties back into fourth quarter. Um, you know, the issue with them for years is they just couldn't keep up with everybody. They didn't have the depth and the conditioning. And, you know, you probably need 50 pretty decent football players to win in the SEC and it was not a star-studded cast for the most part. I mean, they had some really great players at times. They had Jordan Matthews and Zach Stacy and guys that would be, I, I think, considered among Vanderbilt history as some of the greatest of their positions. But I don't think that was as much – I mean, it had a lot to do with them winning games, certainly. But I think it was the depth and the conditioning and the belief that had them winning games. And I think that's something that just have not seen repeated under Derek Mason. Yeah, and let's not forget those two years that Vanderbilt went to bowl games and won the Birmingham Bowl against Houston, 41-24, to and they knocked off NC State in the Music City Bowl, 38-24. to By the way, in 2012, I, I, there's so many W's here, i got to count them up. One, two, three, four, five, seven straight wins to wrap up the 2012 season, including a win over Auburn at home. That was a big win in Nashville. I remember that game. They beat Kentucky 40 to nothing. They yeah. eked out a win against Ole Miss. They beat Tennessee <laughs> 41 to 18. Oh, gosh. And, and I'm, I'm going to keep picking on the Vols. Tennessee has lost to Vanderbilt now uh, last year, and uh, they lost uh, two years ago. Two, two straight and four out of six, which mm -hmm. has not happened since, I think, the 1920s, John. So I know it's it's real fun to think about when James Franklin was down, but Derek Mason's had his own success against UT, so kudos to the Commodores and, and fan, Vanderbilt fans want to make that keep going as a trend. What is the, the – the, you said you expect about four wins for the 2018 doors? Yeah, I, I think the Vegas over under is right there. I could see them, I could see them winning five. I mean, they get Arkansas in a year where they're completely changing offenses, and you'd rather play that game sooner than later. 
because that's a, a place where the deeper they get into the, the season, maybe guys are getting adjusted to a new way. But Arkansas is, you know, Arkansas and Ole Miss are probably the two worst teams in the SEC, according to the predictions. And those are the two teams they draw on their schedule. So I think that's, that's your hope a little bit is that, you know, the, the East is still not back to where Tennessee, Florida, Georgia are just putting dominant teams out there most years. Uh, so there's that. Although Georgia's gotten back there, and Florida will wait and see. Uh, Tennessee's certainly not there. So there's there's that part of the schedule that gives you a little bit of hope. But, I mean, they've got some significant holes to fill. And, of course, last we saw them, they were giving up an SEC record for points in a year. Uh, so you, you kind of got to start the baseline there and make a pretty convincing case that they're going to be a lot better before – we start talking about winning seasons. But, again, they, they do have some talented players coming in, and it's going to be interesting to see how those guys fit and who can make an impact right away because that's their saving grace is that in the schedule if they're going to really get far above that four-win expectation that people have sort of put on them. We're visiting with Chris Lee of VandySports.com on the Y'all Show, and one of the early games that Vanderbilt has on the 2018 schedule is actually a road game to Touchdown Jesus where they face off against Notre Dame. How did that game and this, I guess, series come about? I know that when James Franklin was there, that was a game that they were going to schedule and have played, I think, in Rome. Um, what happened between now and then, I'm, I'm just not – entirely clear uh, i do know now that all of a sudden that game is in south bend i don't think there's a return trip uh so that's what i know i don't, I don't know i wonder if james was still around um if, if that game either would <laughs> would not happen or happen in rome is is, is planned but you're talking about uh, rome, that's, rome that's a tough one you're talking about, rome, talking about rome italy like uh, where the pope lives uh, yes I, I didn't know you talked about the one in georgia no, not not the one in Georgia, which has a Vandy tie for another reason, but not a, a great reason. Well, but, well, uh, well, go ahead. What's the tie? Well, that was the Marcus Dixon thing about uh, man twelve or thirteen years ago, whatever it's been, and uh, you, you can Google that one up. That okay. was a yeah. That that that's a whole other issue of things. Okay, uh, it, that, that was an interesting story. I but. doubt you've talked about him very much lately. No, I no, I have not. But it was a big story at the time. Okay. So, all right. Well, Chris is an encyclopedia, really, of not only Vanderbilt but all kinds of sports, and we're going to tap into that great mind about college baseball on the other side of this break. We will continue talking Vanderbilt. We'll get Chris's take on the SEC when the Y'all Show continues right after the break. Credit products are made by WebBank. Rates and terms vary based on credit history. Amazon is not a sponsor of this promotion. Other restrictions apply. See website for details. How did I get into credit card debt? A trip to the emergency room. Car repairs. <sighs> Moving expenses. <sighs> There's a million ways to get into credit card debt, but one sure way to start getting out. Avant. Avant offers access to online unsecured loans from $2,000 to $35,000 at competitive rates and no extra charges for paying back early. Over 500,000 customers have experienced the convenience of a loan through Avant. No wonder Avant has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. The application takes minutes, and if approved by 4.30 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday, funds are deposited as soon as the next business day. And now Avant will also give you a $50 Amazon.com gift card after your first payment is made on time. To check your loan options and to get this special radio offer, go to Avant.com today and enter promo code 4646 when applying. That's A-V-A-N-T.com, promo code 4646. Avant.com, code 4646. 
And we are back on the Y'all Show, our final segment of today's show. We've got the SEC spotlight on the Vanderbilt Commodores in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm John Rawl with Chris Lee of VandySports.com. You can find them on the Internet at VandySports.com. They're the Rivals.com affiliate. Also on Twitter, it's at VandySports.com on Twitter. And, and Chris Lee and the staff there do a fantastic job with recruiting information and other updates on all Vanderbilt sports, not just football, at VandySports.com on Twitter. Now, Chris, we want to get your take on the SEC in 2018. Georgia, of course, the defending champions of the conference and and have done you know quite well in only two years under Kirby Smart. Your thoughts on the SEC East heading into 2018? Well, Georgia's at the top of the heap for obvious reasons. South Carolina is a team that I watch with interest because you've seen that team under the coaching change just get better the last couple of years. Um, I don't think that we expected Will Muschamp to come to South Carolina and do what he's done. But I've been really impressed with what he's done. Jake Bentley's a good quarterback. They get Debo Samuel back, who's one of their better playmakers. Uh, and, of course, Missouri. Drew Locke is a potential first-rounder at quarterback. Their offense was a lot of fun to watch. I do question how good they will be against the better defenses. Uh, that is an offense that has just ripped to shreds the bad defenses the last couple of years and built up a lot of snap or uh, built up a lot of stats that way. But at the same time, there's some talent there, and they are fun to watch. That Those two teams are kind of wild cards. But I think the biggest one to me, John, is Florida. I really – it's a mystery to me what Florida is because I watched them a year ago. I did not think they were very good. It did not look like a team that's filled with four and some five-star recruits on their roster as those kids were decorated coming out of high school – but at the same time, when you're poorly coached and things are falling apart and you've got turmoil, and certainly I think all those things were the case a year ago for Florida, that tends to just make it all go bad. I'm really anxious to see what Dan Mullen, who I think is a very good coach, does at Florida his first year because I'm not sure if that's a team that the talent is as good as we were led to believe or the talent was as good as, as the recruiting service has led us to believe, but just – Everything got infected last year uh, through what was going on in Gainesville. So that, to me, they're, they're a wild card because I'm not so sure. You know, and quarterback has been such a position of instability there for years. And if you don't have one of those, it's really hard. But, boy, Dan Mullen has done a tremendous job of developing quarterbacks in his tenure at Mississippi State. So I think if you want to start with the guy who knows what he's doing there, and Florida fans have seen before with Tim Tebow under his guidance, uh, I'm really anxious to see there what Florida really has and what a difference Dan Mullen can make because I'm really not sure heading into the year. Well, not far from Nashville is Lexington, Kentucky. What is your take on what Coach Stoops did last year, and is is the, are the Cats going to be any better in 2018? You know, that is an interesting one, too, because their recruiting has gotten better. I think the results lagged a little bit, and maybe there's just an indictment of how much work he had to do. But they've got a lot of talent on defense. Um, they've been saying for a couple of years, look out for this group of defensive backs because there's two or three kids on there that are potential all-SEC guys, and you're seeing that in the voting this year. And defensive line is a place where they've not had a lot of production in recent years. They get big kids 
but they don't necessarily do much. And you're starting to see an improvement there. I think defensively, maybe they've got a chance to be as good as they've been in a while because they bring a lot of those kids back. Uh, my question is offense. They get Dorian Baker back at receiver who was hurt last year, who was, I think, their leading receiver all the way back in 2015. So I think that helps him too. But they could be going into the fall also with a quarterback who's never taken a snap there. And that can take some adjustment time. Of course, you do have Benny Snell to lean on at running back, and he's about as good as there is in the conference, which helps. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm really curious there because the defense looks to me like it's the best that it's been in a while. But if you don't have a quarterback and you can't get that answered pretty quickly, that causes all kinds of problems elsewhere. Yeah, John, I think they're a huge wild card. Uh, but if they get some quarterback play, they could be pretty interesting. And, of course, the Commodores, as Chris mentioned earlier, they play Arkansas this year for the first time in a long time, going to Fayetteville to face off against the Hogs on October 27th. And Vanderbilt's West team that they play every year is the Ole Miss Rebels, and Matt Luke's squad comes to Vanderbilt Stadium on November 17th. And, of course, you wrap up the year at home against the Tennessee Vols on November 24th. What's it been like to once again be champions of Tennessee for Vanderbilt fans? <laughs> well, <laughs> the resistance isn't quite what it used to be, for sure. Uh, it's been kind of astonishing to see how fast things melted down in Knoxville, although you could you could kind of see that coming. Um, you know, some of the legal documents that are coming out now in terms of the sexual harassment or abuse cases uh, that are kind of ongoing right now kind of point to a program that was really undisciplined and in, in disarray. And when you have those things – uh, really, unless you're Urban Meyer at Florida or maybe Jimmy Johnson at Miami, it takes a special kind of coach uh, to be able to hold that environment together, and Butch Jones was not it. Now, I think they've got a guy who's a little bit more no-nonsense this time around, mm -hmm. uh, and Jeremy Pruitt, a guy that I think a lot of people feel is, is going to have a good tenure there. Um, I I'll wait and see. He's never been head coach before, but you certainly hear some good things. My question is how much talent they have. Uh, like Florida, these kids have been hyped as, as really good players for years, and you just didn't see it for the most part last year. It wasn't the Tennessee team, John, that, that you and I grew up with in the 90s. It just had offensive and defensive linemen galore and you know all kinds of skilled guys at receiver um, that, that just were gazelles that could outrun you. That did not look to me like the Tennessee team uh, that we had become accustomed to seeing in the 90s and the early 2000s. And Again, with Florida, I kind of wonder, does he have enough to build on uh, to, to really make a go of being competitive in 2018? I think that's a little bit of a longer rebuild job, but certainly he's recruited very well. Uh, and I think they'll be better shaped two or three years from now. But this year might be a little tough for them. Well, Chris Lee is a source of knowledge of all types of sports information and obviously on 80s pop music, as we found out as well. But one of the other things, Chris, that you're known for is your knowledge of college baseball. So before we get out of here with you today, your thoughts on what happened in 2018 in college baseball and just anything else on the on the hardball front you need to let us let off your chest. Well, I think college baseball right now uh, is really in a good spot. They've got to make some more progress in game times, but it just amazed me. Like when I was covering the Nashville super regional with Vanderbilt and Mississippi state, I would get texts from people, uh, you know, at midnight that, that, that normally don't watch college baseball, but just the games themselves were so good. 
the people were staying up to watch them. For the SEC itself, I don't think that the league has ever been in better shape. And I think it's, you know, the SEC has been the best league in college baseball for decades now, but I think it just keeps getting stronger. You know, the league got 10 teams to the NCAA tournament this last year, and Kentucky got robbed. The Wildcats should have been in there for sure, and the tournament committee just screwed that up. But it kind of played out that way because there were three teams in Omaha, which interestingly, the die was cast on that before College World Series because you had six teams in Super Regionals from the SEC, and they were all matched up against each other. So you had six teams in the Supers, uh, you had some other teams that I think maybe finished second in, in the regionals, uh, like Ole Miss would be one, ran to do a tough Tennessee Tech team. I just thought that between the postseason and the draft, where you saw a lot of SEC kids and, and commitments off the board mm-hmm. um, in high spots, and some of those commitments, by the way, went to college, uh, and some of those kids that uh, maybe were picked in lower rounds could have been picked in higher rounds had they not told teams that, Hey, look, I'm coming to college. I just think the league as a whole is in phenomenal shape. I did a podcast the other day with Aaron Fitt at D1 Baseball, and his short list of national title contenders next year uh, was probably Vanderbilt and LSU, but then he had about six other teams right outside that uh, that he mentioned. Auburn, Georgia were a couple that come to mind. Of course, Florida's always right there. Uh, Ole Miss with that number one recruiting class two years ago. A lot of those kids are back. Mississippi State had such a good run in Omaha and through the postseason. Most of that team is back, and they had a couple of star recruits. I just think that you're looking at a, a league next year. You could potentially see may, maybe eight of the top 15, 16 teams in the country come from the SEC, uh, and you're probably going to see in Vanderbilt and LSU uh, two of the three or four teams that will be on the short list of everybody's number one coming into next year. I think that the league is in great shape. I think college baseball is in great shape. And I think next year, once again, it's going to be a ton of fun to watch. And we look forward to tracking you down when college baseball is up and going for sure. Chris Lee, VandySports.com, we thank you very much. Reminder, Vanderbilt gets the 2018 season underway against Middle Tennessee State at Vanderbilt Stadium. That's a 6.30 kickoff on September 1st. Have a great rest of your day, sir. You do the same, John. Anchor down. Well, that wraps up today's Y'all Show. Reminder, tomorrow will be our Friday free for y'all, and we'll have hashtag hullabaloo right back at you, and I look back at some of the fun that we've had in this week of y'all. Until then, you have a good one. This has been the Y'all Show with John Rawl. See y'all later. Geico presents unhelpful home improvement how-tos. Lightning can spark a fire in seconds. So today, I'll show you how to protect your belongings by covering them in a fireproof blanket fort. All you need is a hammer, nails, and 700 fireproof blankets. Upon completion, you'll notice your apartment isn't just fireproof, it's also extremely cozy. You could try to protect your valuables with a fireproof blanket fort, or you could get covered for personal property damage through the Geico Insurance Agency. Go to geico.com to see how affordable renter's insurance can be. Ah, the sounds of summer. And this is the sound of summer skin being scratched because of the itching and irritation of what the season can bring. 
you need the fast relief of Cortisone 10 Intensive Healing Anti-Itch Cream. Unlike regular lotions, Cortisone 10 relieves itch and irritation with 1% hydrocortisone, the strongest non-prescription itch medicine, plus seven healing moisturizers. Cortisone 10 makes summer sound fun again. Cortisone 10. Feel the heal. Use as directed.